Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your field of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight into it. Welcome to the last episode of the year. I actually can't believe it. It all went so fast. We are already well into December, ready to close the year. And in this episode, we answer the career questions that you sent us. To do so, I am joined today by three leaders in data, Belinda, Claire and Samani. Hi ladies, it's such a pleasure to have you with me today for this final episode of the year. Before we get into the questions, can I please invite you to introduce yourself? Maybe Belinda, you could start first. Happy to. So I'm Belinda Jamson. I'm a managing director in Accenture and I lead our data management practice in the UK and Ireland. Thank you. Claire? Hi, I'm Claire Thompson. I work for NatWest and lead the data analytics team for the commercial and private bank. Thank you. And Samani? Hi everyone, um, I'm Samani Lamabadusuria and I'm heading up for data and analytics for Cigna, which is a health insurance company uh, for Europe and global segments. Thank you. So as you can see today, we have a panel full of amazing women working from various industries. And we are here to answer, as I said, questions that you sent. All the questions had common themes really. And we have split the questions in three main themes. The first one being starting in data, second one from doing to leading, and then the last one is leadership. And at the end, Belinda, Claire and Samani will share their top tip that they got from their career. So the first question was about what are the different paths into data science and data engineering? I feel like this is a question many people are asking. So Belinda, could you give us a bit more insights on what are the different paths into data science and data engineering? It's actually an interesting question. So you have data science and data engineering, but increasingly, of course, you have machine learning as well. And those three, AI, machine learning, go quite hand in hand with data science and data engineering. So parts into that, I think it depends really how far you want to go back. So if you're looking at, you know, how do I get into these as careers at the point where I'm choosing what subjects I want to study in university, then the answer is obviously slightly different to if you've already gone through university, for instance, you're in a career and you are thinking about entering these fields. And so what do you need to do, whether it's sort of like a career switch or courses you need to take outside. So what I'll do is just so that, you know, we're able to give um, everyone of our wits as much information as possible. I'll sort of go into the two. So let me start with if you were, let's say you were a student thinking about a career aspiration after uni, I want to do data science, data engineering, machine learning, AI, what courses do I need to look at? From the experience I have from speaking to uh, people who are in data science, data engineering, being somebody in the data field myself, as well as the people that I hire, there are three distinct parts that I see. So the first is obviously you study a numerate subject. For you to understand what matters, you need to understand what is the difference between data science and data engineering, right? That informs your choice. So Whilst they're closely linked, they're not the same. So when you look at data engineering, what you are really thinking about is how you collect data, how you wrangle the data, how you sort of clean the data and make sure that it is accessible for analysis, for further analysis. And when you look at data science, it's all about, you know, building the models and the algorithms that then act on that data to be able to provide insights, to be able to help sort of understand the trends in data and and really be able to use that for decision making. 
right? And then if you add in the AI and machine learning, that's where, you know, you're going a bit further and saying, okay, how do I, you know, automate this? How do I make sure that I am actually doing learning as it goes along? So if you're then looking at those three, if you understand those sort of minor differences, then for data engineering, I'd say you and any numerate subjects. And when I say numerate subjects, I'm thinking more of the STEM subjects. Now, why do I say that? Is because for you to be able to do all this analysis, you need to you need to have a logical approach to solving problems. And it's not restricted to just one particular subject like maths or science. You can, you can do a range of that. So that's the first sort of path, right? Data science, I think, is exactly the same. However, if you're you're sort of thinking of what are the subjects to study for data science, because you need a lot of um, modeling and you need to be able to do statistical analysis. Therefore, you know, we're thinking of mathematics, we're thinking of statistics, we're thinking of computer science and engineering. Whenever I meet people in sort of university, young people who are looking at these uh, data fields, I always say, if you can do a STEM subject, you can get into all of these very easily because it gives you the basis on which to do that. So Karen, I'll put it back to you because I actually, you're one of the people I I know who is in this field, isn't it? So for instance, yourself, do you want to tell our listeners what subjects you study to be able to do the, the job you do? Yeah, sure. So I did have quite an interesting path. I was always into mathematics from a very, very young age. My granddad was a math teacher and he was my role model growing up. So I was thinking I'm going to be like him. So I studied math and for my master's, what I did, it was applied statistics and modeling. So I learned all the base of the data science and machine learning techniques. And as you said, it does help you build the base for the job. And it also gives you the logical thinking that you need to be able to code and then apply to business problems. So understand, okay, I have this question to answer. How am I going to go and use the data to answer that question in the best possible way? What I find a bit disappointing about what happens when you finish university is that Yes, you have all the technical knowledge. Well, not all of it, but a good part of it. So you know how the models work, you know how to optimize a model, how to do clustering, how to do loads of things. But you could be struggling to apply it to um, an everyday problem, so a business problem or the, especially because you don't know how industries are using data and data science right so I feel like this is something that is kind of lacking what what do you all think what you're saying is very true you need the technical but but when you come into industry for any apart from if you went into you need to study a specific profession like medicine when you come into industry there will be a learning curve right because what you learn in school and you know how it's applied to business slightly different and so there's a learning curve so i understand the disappointment but i think that is to be expected right so once you start learning or or once you come into the business world there are different skills that you would need to augment your technical skills and those are equally important but i think there's a question for us to come back on that point so um, obviously for when you're a student there's that but if you were in career now and you're thinking i like data science i mean the harvard business review was saying is the sexiest um, job to have being a data scientist currently so there are lots of people thinking about it, but if you are and you sort of you know, you're in a different profession, whatever that may be, there is a path into it as well. And you know, the focus on that is to understand: Do I want to be a data scientist or a data engineer? If I want to be a data scientist, then you need to understand. Just as as you talked about, Karen, you need to have you know a good understanding of coding, a good understanding of logical modeling, a good understanding of uh, statistics and you know the different types of regression analysis and those you know those things that allow you to really translate the 
the sort of trends and stuff into data to really work on data and be able to sort of come up with insights that you can back up with the data, right? And if you want to do data engineering, slightly different, you want to look at, you know, how would you be able to extract data from systems? So being able to um, understand NoSQL, SQL programming, Python, R, but also looking at, well, once you've, you're able to gather the information, write the, the necessary syntax and stuff to do it, how do you wrangle the data? What things do you need to know to be able to do all of that? That would be my second distinct path into it. You're already in a career and you're thinking about it and understanding what topics or what skills you need to acquire and how you get it whilst you didn't study anything relevant to it. And I think the third one is, well, probably you haven't been to uni, but you're, for instance, people go through apprenticeships and enter these same fields. And third part is very similar to the second in that, you know, you haven't studied anything particularly linearly aligned to it. Um, but back to your point, Karen, I think what I think you need most is the passion and the enthusiasm for these two. Because if you have the passion and the enthusiasm, the rest becomes you know, a lot easier. You can do the courses, you can find the time because actually you're passionate about it, you enjoy it, and therefore you want to know more. And I think actually that is the most important thing, because if you have the passion and the, you know, the enthusiasm and you're disciplined enough to want to pursue it, then you know, there are courses and there are skills and there are mentors that can guide you to make that decision. I agree. Learning while having fun is always the best way. The next question is, what do you look for when recruiting data professionals? Claire, could you give us your insights on that? I agree with what Belinda's saying um, in terms of what's needed. You know, that maths discipline is really good for the data science. You know, data engineering is becoming increasingly important. You know, there's a real recognition. You actually can't do the data science without any of the really strong data engineering that goes behind it to make sure that you're actually running everything in the most efficient way. There's also a couple of other skills though that I would also start to look for when you're recruiting these individuals around, you're looking for individuals that are prepared to learn. This is an area that is bringing in lots of new tools and techniques all the time. Yeah. And therefore it's really, really important to keep an eye on that and continue to learn because it is moving at a fast pace. And I also look for individuals who are, good at uh, being able to articulate the value of the model that they've built and the impact that it's had and being able to communicate that in a way that others who aren't as technical are actually able to understand as well. It's equally important. There's no point being really smart and having all of that great technical knowledge if you can't be able to you know, articulate to your stakeholders exactly why this is so important and the impact that it's actually going to have on their business. So that commercial element is also really important. Samani, do you have the same view as well? And I'm really curious to know if you're looking at the same kind of skills, depending on the level of the analyst or the scientist, because you would have entry level, senior level, but also managers. What are the differences between all these? Yeah, I definitely agree with Claire and Belinda on this, in that it's a fine balance of that technical skill set, but as well as being able to, you know, nail that so what and the data storytelling needs to be in place. When looking for data people, obviously there are some different skill sets between um, entry level to, say, mid-management, mid etc., and that's if you think about a scale, right? So mid-level, I think Belinda touched on this. It's really having that curiosity, having that passion. I mean, you know, it's someone sitting there looking at a data set, right? If you're not passionate about it, then you kind of miss a trick there, right? So you need to have that curiosity and, and that needs to be at all levels. I think detail is relevant for this job. You know, if you're hiring man manager saying, oh, I, you know, I don't like the detail, then I would say it's not the right profession, unfortunately, right? So for me, I think at any level, you know, I throw in questions at interviews to ascertain how that curiosity is, right? Because as we all know, it's not like in university where you get a perfect data set. You're working with imperfect data. And the other pillar that I look at is creativity. It's like, okay, it's not going to be answer, it's not going to be in a plate. It's like, look at the data and be creative. Think about how you can get to the answer by transforming that data set, or do you need to merge, except, so you need to have that creativity. 
And again, it's not something you learn at university or things like that, right? It's something you come with. It's part of that passion. And finally, I always look at the commercial sense, especially in a commercial environment. It is highly necessary for you to be able to connect that data with what the business challenges are. And that's crucial, I think, to be able to um, really get the best out of the data set that the company has. So for me, those are the three things irrelevant of the level that you're coming at, I would be looking at, and I've been known to throw curveball questions just to figure that out. <laughs> that summarizes it really well. And now I'm just laughing trying to picture an interview with you. That has to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the one thing I was going to say is right now, though, I can imagine someone listening and thinking, oh, gosh, this is you know, a field that would be really hard. I need technical. I need all of these other things that are being sought out um, for these roles. And my advice, I guess, would be that people have different personalities that go with different things that they do or different careers that are suited. I mean, when I started out, data science or people, you know, developers, people who coded were seen very much as very introverted. They're just interested in the data, not able to translate what they're doing on a business level. And whilst, you know, right now, just as Claire and Samini talked about, it's the it's what we look for. There are still adjustments that we make, right? Because the we know that the skills are in very high demand. Increasingly, there is a space for data translators. And data translators could very simply would be sort of your business business analyst that can speak both to the sort of the data engineer, the technical data engineers or data science and the business, right? Sometimes we know that there is a translation that needs to happen because you you might be the best data engineer out there or, you know, someone with a real passion for data science, but you are not necessarily able to communicate it as well as you need. And whilst there are, you know, there are ways to help you build on that communication, we also recognize there's a need to sort of sometimes get translators in between to help that process, right? So I, I think that if you are somebody who is passionate and technical, but are not really sure about the business aspects, you're not, you're not necessarily that person that can do all of the, the, the speaking to business people is not something that you naturally can do you can build those skills and there are even some organizations that will you know have translators as part of your analytics port or or whatever it is to make sure that you know there's someone else to do the translation whilst you focus on what you're doing that's very true and even within teams themselves you will find people with different profiles and interested in different things Claire, there is something that you told me when we were talking about putting this podcast episode together, and that was that when we are moving into a more managerial and a leadership position, the way our performance are measured is different. So we go from doing to leading, and I was really curious to know, what do you have to do to make this transition a good transition? Absolutely. So I've come from a technical coding background myself into uh, leadership positions. And that's really what I'm talking about, where you've been used to having your performance measured based on the outcomes you're driving through the actual hands on delivery yourself into leadership roles where you're no longer expected to be hands on. And that is a very difficult transition because the things that made you successful in your old role are going to be very different in your new one, um, because it's more about actually achieving through others which is quite a different transition to make. So the sort of things that are really important are making sure that you're really uh, delegating things down, that you're resisting that temptation to really get stuck back in uh, and do the technical part. And it's really important to be coaching the other individuals that you're now leading. You know, I've seen this quite a lot with others that I've managed where they still want to be hands on. They feel that they can actually do the work far quicker or better, you know, because they understand what they'd need to do. That's why it's really important to be coaching your teams. And whilst it possibly does feel a little bit slower initially, because they're obviously you're coaching them through that, it actually does become a lot more. And what you find is that as you move into that leadership role, you can actually do far more because you're actually encouraging your teams to really embrace that and step up as well. So 
Um, I, I think it's a really important one because I see that quite a bit that everyone struggles to sort of make that transition. It's, it can be quite a difficult one to refrain from doing the hands-on stuff yourself. I think especially when you are a first-time manager, because you are still in your role, you're still technical because first-time manager, they're not going to get you to manage 20 people straight away and not being hands-on, but you're still technical, but you also have to delegate some things. Otherwise, you can't do it all, can you? And it's that feeling of loss of control because your performance is now reliant on your team delivering for you. And therefore you feel slightly distanced from that control element that you would have had when you're the hands-on person yourself doing the work. Um, that's why it's really important to be encouraging your teams and to take on that coaching activity to really bring them on and possibly build in just a little bit more time as well to make sure that they've got enough room to actually do what you're expecting and probably delivering to the standard that you're sort of setting for them as well. That's a really great introduction for our second part that is from doing to leading. And I'm really interested in hearing your opinion on this question. So the next question is, in your opinion, which is more important to invest time in, people skills or tech skills? Samani, maybe do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. It's a very interesting question. But I think those two are not mutually exclusive. If you think about Let's be geeky here. Think about a radar chart or something. You kind of need different skill sets. And then I think a nice way to think about it is more senior you get, you dial down some of the technical skills and dial up some of the people skills. But having said that, I think some, some of the more junior analysts that strive are the people that can connect with people and can actually translate all the good work that they do, making sure that the data visualization and telling that story with your data is that kind of the broader skill set that will help you progress in your career. You know, it's a journey that we all go on. I think when I first started, I was quite keen to uh, learn all the different techniques and put the people skills not as important. But now further along the journey, you look back and kind of think, well, actually, I should have put some time to network a bit more and try and talk to some other people and try and talk about what I had done. It's a balance. And I think naturally the two skill sets are when you first start out, you're doing more technical, less people. And as you get along the journey, you're doing more people, less technical But the other angle to this story is that uh, even though data science and data has been there for for a long, long time, it's also relatively new in that lots of organizations are now have got data and want their teams in their organization, etc. And more and more, you see there are people leading data functions that have come from other areas that doesn't have the technical knowledge. In that sense, I think then it's the other way around. If you're at that level, you probably do need to have try and get that tech. I don't mean doing the data science and running Python models, etc., or doing ML, stuff like that, but at least have enough knowledge to understand what your team's doing and what that is. That's the flip side to the story. And some time ago, I distinctly recognized that because when I, I worked with lots of retailers and lots of other businesses, and I kind of looked at the leadership and it was very, even now when you take a step back and have a look at CDOs and things and you think about their background, they haven't come from a technical data background it's learning that balance i think i'm just picturing right now a cdo sitting in a room with a bunch of <laughs> 18 something <laughs> learning basic data science techniques i think that's important i don't know i mean personally i like to learn things this lockdown i put i challenge myself to learn new things and stuff like that but so that's how we are right if we don't learn if we don't evolve I don't think you'll survive in this environment. Yeah, this is one of the questions we have as well. But before we get to that one, Belinda, what are your views on people skills and technical skills? Right, it's, 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 it's an interesting one. Um, you see, I think you need both if you're leading in this field, because to the point Samini made, if even you're not from a technical background, but if you are leading a technical team, then you need to at least be able to understand what your team do because they will look to you for guidance. 
you would need to be the one that is motivating your team. And sometimes when they get into trouble, whether it's you, it's something they're trying to build that they're not quite sure of or something that is not quite working as they expected, they, they might need to lean on you. So it, it helps to not just be people leader, but also somebody that understands the technical. If you flip this question slightly differently and you kind of ask you know, which is more important you know, as you, you move more and more into various leadership positions, then I'd say is the people skills. So when we say people skills, we're looking at things around you, know, how you communicate with people, how you're able to influence people, the sort of ways your emotional intelligence, how you're able to empathize with you know different people, not just your team members but people your stakeholders in the business your peers and why do those things matter they matter because as a leader you're most of the time you're charged not just with running a team but you might be running projects you might need to reach different people your stakeholders for that project might be different people in different um, places and so you would need to have all of these skills because you might need to draw on them at different points more than the technicals, because in the, the technical, you, you would probably have a team doing that very well for you. So I think as you grow more and more in your career and as you sort of gravitate towards leading, I think the people skills help you be successful, be embedded in your role. Obviously, Samani said it, data science has been around for a while, but it is also new. And things have been changing so fast that sometimes it's hard to be able to keep up with the new skills. So when I started my career, it was all about SAS. Now it's all about Python and R. How do you keep up with all the new tools, the new languages, the changing environment and the fast pace? I think we've almost touched on this earlier, right? The the key is the passion and the enthusiasm you have for the subject. Exactly to your point, when I started out thinking of you know, being in data, the, the sort of skills and the sort of technologies I knew have changed within the sort of 16 years I've been in this field. And what differentiates or what has kept me going is the fact that I'm actually interested in it. I'm very passionate about the field, so I'm always curious to learn. I'm just thinking, so what's the latest thing that I need to to know? But it's not just the latest thing I need to know for knowing's sake. It's because we have problems in this field. So for instance, if you're looking at data engineering or data management, there are problems that we've been trying to solve. And as the technologies have gotten better and more diverse, they're just better ways of doing it. So most of the time it's around, well, uh, this problem now, now that we have this technology, you know, it's possible to combine this and this and this to be able to fix this problem that would, you know, used to take you, I don't know, 10 days to do. Now you can do it in a day because you, you that these things that you can do and these technologies out there. I think the, the number one way of coping with this, I think it's that passion and that enthusiasm, that, you know, that desire to learn that transcends the career that you're where you are and what you're doing. Just understanding that it's, you have to be a lifelong learner to be successful in anything. I know we're talking data, but I believe it's really important to want to learn and to understand and to, to just want to imbibe as much knowledge in any field as you can, because that's, that's the only way you become an expert. And as you become an expert, logically, you start to be more successful. So those are the things that I'd look out for. The next question is, what do you need to do to get your career to the next level? Um, with a lot of the individuals that I mentor, this is obviously a normal, fairly typical conversation that you'd be having about where they want to advance their career. And one of the key pieces of advice I have is being really specific about what it is that you actually want to do. You know, I see individuals that come talk to me and they're, you know, really unsure as to which direction that they actually want to go in. But it's really important to have that, yes, actually, this is what I want to achieve, because that allows you to really focus then on what it is that you perhaps need to develop, you know, or expand out knowledge in, in order to achieve it. And once you know that, it's much better to be able to then go and have a conversation with your line manager to talk about that aspiration and get feedback from them as to how ready or not they think you are or where your development areas are so that they can actually support you in getting to that next level as well. Because data is such a fast-moving industry, roles are changing really fast, and it's kind of like we don't have enough 
time to understand really what's going on, what is available and what you can actually do. Do you have any tips to really being able to find out? Because I believe this is what the problem is, right? When people come and they don't really know what they want to do is because they don't have access to what's available. They can't actually see it. So my advice is to people to really think about things that they really enjoy. You know, what really motivates them in the roles? What what things do they really look for? And then I'd also encourage them to just have short conversations with individuals that are perhaps in those roles already to get a bit more of a depth about, you know, what's actually happening. You know, that's why I think sometimes that networking piece, either in your organisation or externally, is so important because it's just a case of dropping someone a line saying, can I have a coffee? I'm really interested in this particular area and it'd be really valuable to sort of get some knowledge and experience as to what a, a day in the life of that job actually looks like and the sort of skills that you need. Um, and that's why I'd be encouraged them because it is fast paced, things are changing, but hopefully that network will you know, sort of bring some of those roles to life for you. And Belinda, do you have any advice on this? Yeah, in a way, I think actually being someone that works in consulting, I think it's a little easier because in the field I work in, whilst it's data, we tend to work with different clients on different challenges. So you might come in and um, you're part of a team, you might be a data scientist, you might be a data engineer, but as you experience different clients, different challenges, hopefully that sort of gives you an idea, helps you know yourself better in terms of, well, I'm in data science, but actually I'm more interested in this discipline, or I find data management really good because of X, Y, Z, or actually I prefer the, the, the sort of building the algorithms or looking more at the, at the models. And, and so maybe that's what I want to specialize in. And also regards to sort of the end industry, right? So it's one is having the functional skills, but also the different industries are different by definition, right? So when you're in consulting, you sometimes get the opportunity to work in different industries. So combined with that, you sort of are able to, hopefully after a few years, some even do it after a few months, they're able to more clearly understand where they want to focus their, their energies on, what motivates them to um, clear sets. And then you have the opportunity opportunity to really do that but if you sit outside of consulting and you you have this very specific challenge really is what is available and and of course please if you have mentors and they don't have to be mentors in your organization different mentors you can speak to them I mean you could I don't know where your mentors may be, but but in certain organizations, you might even be able to have sort of like one day work shadowing where you don't work for them at all. You're, you're an external and all of those will give you perspectives and help you hopefully make make up your mind. One day shadowing sounds like the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this morning I was listening to the Squiggly Pacaria podcast and they were talking about reskilling. So the skills for the future, what reskilling means, etc. And someone on the podcast did touch about the fact that in the UK, we are less likely to have the business knowledge versus the US because in the US, they go on and do MBAs after their university degrees. Samani, you did do a, an MBA a few years ago. What were the pros and the cons of this experience? And then did you feel like it added a lot of value to you being a data professional? I, I think so. For me, I, I had a little think about my career about five years ago, you know, had a good reflection of, you know, where I've come from, where I need to be. And it's exactly that. So I had a very technical part, you know, I've, I've bounced around different industries, but again, it, it's very much in analytics and quite a narrow kind of path, right? So at that point, you know, my goal for from an MBA was to actually broaden my uh, business skill sets and commercial sense. And, you know, some of the things that you gain from an MBA is, is that large network, right? So here I was sat in Oxford and, you know, there was these amazing profs giving uh, lectures, but the most amazing thing was there were like 59 others who's been in different industries, who's been leaders, you know, has worked for 20 plus years, giving different perspectives. So that's something that you normally wouldn't get in a your job. So you just sat there um, listening to how a certain problem will be solved from so many different perspectives and so much experience. And for me, that was quite invaluable. 
and it's, it's kind of really refreshing to get that if you're kind of thinking in your career with a you know you want to branch out and do entrepreneurship or you want to change career or you want you know what what do you want to do in that kind of sense then i would advise an mba is quite good to explore those things right so it, it's quite a personal thing and as some you know as i think claire or, or belinda mentioned earlier we are in one of the you know more sought out career paths right data science so i don't think you need an mba uh, to progress in this career because we are we are in the sexiest trade in the world aren't we so so there's so much opportunity and there's so such shortage that you don't need an mba to get to the next level but it's more of personally if you're kind of thinking actually you know i want to have a different perspective or i want to all of a sudden have like you know explore these different networks for me that was invaluable but it comes with huge commitment you know at the time i had two kids a full time job which i had to travel around and then doing an mba um now looking back i'm kind of thinking how the hell did i do it um uh, because it's quite quite a lot of commitment you know i hadn't been to university in 15 years since since then so it's like full on assignments and you know proper going back to university full on drinking at the pub as well you know because your liver can't take that kind of <laughs> so things but um and also financially it's quite a big commitment right so i think thinking about making that decision um doing an mba you kind of need to really go through the roi of why am i doing that is this going to bring me a return on investments and sometimes it might not be financial but it's more of you know rest of your life how you're going to manage it and where you want to go so it's not a simple answer of yes go out and do an mba it's more of personally what you're trying to achieve where do you want to go and does that sort you out and yeah. for me personally i um, i would do that in a heartbeat because it's it's amazing and i've gained some friends that are going to be there for the rest of my life so Oh yeah. that's yeah. nice. It's always down to this personal reflection, right? What it is that you want to do and then what do you want to bring with you in your career? And and Karen, maybe just to add on to that. I went to business school in I think it was 2006, but my my trigger for doing that was because I I I almost wanted a career change because I was an electrical engineer and I thought actually I wanted more of a business acumen, so I went to business school. And a lot of what Semeni has said resonates because it's you know, a lot of what you get from business school or from an executive education isn't necessarily the 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 degree itself a lot of the time and i think probably you know, I, i might even push it and say half of the value i see is the networks that you know the network that you build because you would be in a, in a room with a lot of people who have you know they they have they have had careers or they're in the middle of their careers or probably just starting out but that diversity of a network is quite invaluable and and you know usually pays off um years after but i also think that if i think of the people who will be listening to us if you're in your career and you're thinking actually you know, i'm considering an executive education be it an mba be it you know a specific executive diploma and right now there are loads of them out there then always think to not just those the, the sort of the personal triggers but the value that you think it's going to give you because sometimes that value can also come from switching roles and doing something laterally or it might come from if it's a network then it's it's obviously very different if it's a specific subject area that you want to hone on then doing an executive education might not necessarily be the right answer so i think it's just making sure that you really understand the motivation the reason why you want to do it the value you think it will give you and what you are really really looking for we are entering the last part of the question so it's two more questions before you share your top tip uh first question being how do you ensure knowledge is shared within your teams So it is really important to make sure that you're sharing uh, across teams because sometimes it triggers other thought processes of something else that you may want to do. You can set up lunch and learn sessions, you can circulate round newsletters, just telling some of the stories with points of contact that you can put in place. 
there's a whole variety of different things internally that you can also do with perhaps video conferences, you know, begin to just make sure that you're communicating everything out, particularly when you've got really large teams, you know, organizations are now growing all of their data capability and just making sure that you're sharing that knowledge becomes really important. You know, what does best practice look like? We also make sure that we try to move individuals around the different teams as well, because we find that's another really great way of sharing knowledge and best practice as, as people begin to sort of like circulate either within the teams or leading different teams as well. Um, so there's some of the things that, that we certainly do and that I've, I've done with the teams that I have. In my team and, and obviously in Accenture, we have quite a huge focus on knowledge sharing because actually that's how we help people learn and that's how we build sort of expertise in the skills, right? So encouraging sharing and actually just making sure that the platform is there for people to share knowledge is very, very important. So some of the things we do to encourage that, we, we sort of um, encourage people as they finish projects, as they go on different projects to summarize what they've done on the project, what the problem was, how we as Accenture were able to bring different teams and knowledge to, to solve that problem, what the outcome was for the client. Right. And that sort of making sure that we have that template for people to just share the experiences from projects is immensely useful and valuable, not just to the people that are there now, but even as new people come into the firm, they can quickly use these as reference points. So that's very important for us. We also encourage people to do things like brown bag sessions, where if you're an expert in something or you've just gone and done something that has gone down really well, or you had a challenge and you've been able to overcome it with specific skills, various things, you just, you know, you, you set up these sessions and you share that knowledge in an interactive way. So people can ask you questions. You can say what you think, the how we say that the data field is quite fluid. These brown bag sessions, Sessions are great places for people to come and say where they think you know the industry is heading and so what things people need to focus on in terms of learning in terms of new skills it's all of those things and then there's also just writing thought leadership pieces on various things right so if you think you you found a way to solve a particular problem you can write a thought leadership piece that can be circulated internally throughout all of the, the firm right, for people to read and contribute to it. So all that that is really encouraging is you're sharing the knowledge, people are adding to it. And what we're essentially building is a knowledge pool that is useful for current employees and even the future employees that are coming in, right? And some of those we publish to our clients to make sure that they are also learning and sharing in that information. I like the idea of sharing with the clients as well. This question is about how do you balance work and home life. Listening to Samani talking about being at university, having two kids, and all the three of you have children, and I am myself asking, how the hell are you doing that? How do you manage to be a mom and being a a leader in your field? So, yeah, this is how I actually got involved in in women in data in the first place, talking about what it was like being a working mum, because I've always worked full time. Uh, and it, it's not easy. Uh, my kids are now teenagers, so it is definitely a lot easier uh, than it was when they were much younger and, and obviously need far more help and are a lot more demanding. I'm very fortunate, you know, having the right support network in place around you is really important. Acknowledging that you can't do everything and, and making sure that you get the right balance. Family is my priority. And sometimes that does mean having to turn around and say no and putting those strict rules in place to make sure that you don't you know my husband's very good at making sure that he keeps me on track and if he sees me skewing things too far you know he will come and have that conversation with me just to make sure that I get my my balance back again um it is really important so it's, it's definitely not an easy thing to do but it is possible just got to to be a bit flexible not so hard on yourself in tr- in terms of trying to balance everything some of my tips but I'm sure that Belinda and um, Samani will have also other views as well. Yeah I think I agree with um, Claire it's all about having that um, right support network having things in place to recognize where you need more help it's not easy to kind of say right like I switch off my computer at 5 30 and that's it but we all know that's not how it works right so 
recognizing that sometimes actually you need to stay longer to do the work or sometimes you need to switch off and go to your kids um, recital or whatever right it's it's getting that balance being quite open with your um with you know with your team and your manager this is the modern world right it's not a 9 to 5 and now we are all working from home aren't we so this one thing that's at least good about covid-19 is that we are nearing working from home right we we're nearing that balance and we're working out um how to have family and and work as claire said you can't have it all recognizing that we can't be there for everything for your kids things but being there for the ones that are important and being okay with that decision you know like so my mom stayed at home she was a stay at home mom and she was there for everything but then i guess she sacrificed something in that in terms of a career but i think for working moms and working women it is very important to be okay with um saying right i'm not going to everything of my kids but i'm going to pick the best things and i'm going to be there for that mm-hmm. and then same with work right you can't be there for everything you're just saying right this is what's important and i'm going to do that so it's all about prioritizing it's all about being okay with it and it's all about being not too hard on yourself i'm saying all of this and actually i haven't really got that balance right we're all working to get it right but you know setting that framework and it's much easier now than say like 10 years ago where people used to not be okay with working from home or you know that kind of stuff it's much much better in terms of flexibility belinda you have three kids now uh, how <laughs> do you do. how do you manage it oh gosh uh, what can i say <laughs> it's a journey um i think that's that's the most important thing is a journey i think it's there are few things i agree with everything by the way that claire and samani have said but i think it's it's a journey and recognizing that it's a journey and sometimes you you get it right sometimes you don't get it right and and really being able to forgive yourself um but there's also a discipline i i think to it one of the things that you probably need to make sure that you you have are just being disciplined with your time that's very very important and that's not saying don't be flexible but but you need to be able to manage your time well i mean if you have when you have three kids and you have a career and you're also a wife and you you have things that you do outside of that and you're also your own person unless you're able to manage your time it it becomes really difficult and sometimes you yeah, it just doesn't work so that's the one thing being able to really manage your time but also having a job that supports you right in, in the sort of um decisions that you they know you'd have to make in the flexibility that it affords you right um it's no longer i'm i'm always very keen to make sure that my team members especially when i come across working moms to make sure that they understand that it's not about a body on a seat it's all about impact and how you are able to manage your time to deliver on an outcome i i couldn't care less if you've logged on for you know 9 hours or 2 hours as long as the job is done right so it's just making sure that you you have that control to balance your life you know work on your time and make sure that you know what you have to deliver and you work within your your, your sort of priorities to make sure that happens and asking for help when it's not working i think that's very important you know because i've been um at the start of my career and i had my first son when i was only 25 so i've literally worked and <laughs> been a mom through my most of my working life and it's asking for help when it, it's just not working out it's being able to take care of yourself being able to recognize when actually you have to learn to delegate you have to learn to trust other people in your team to pick things up when you can't but most importantly being able to just have your priorities straight you know because some of the things i wish someone had told me when i was 25 and trying to balance a consulting job trying to do um various things and trying to have uh, you know be a mom to a, a very young child is the fact that actually the child will not stay that the moment you miss there you you don't get back so being able to just 
prioritize and understand what is important um, at any one time, knowing that you have a support network, be it in your work, be it your family life, and just drawing on all of those things to make it work. And most importantly, understanding it's a journey. So even when you've done all of these things right, most likely something is going to fall down and it's fine. That leads us nicely to the last part where you share your top tips. I guess for me, just being a woman in data at this point, I think we should all be very proud of ourselves. First and foremost, I think as a woman, more than anything else, if you have a career in data, as um, we've talked about, the sexiest topic or a field or whatever, first and foremost, recognize yourself, be kind to yourself. You're doing well, wherever you are, whether you have children, whether you're single, in this current climate, you're doing great, first and foremost. And once you, you get to that point, it's almost looking at what is next for me. My tip for that would be it's not always about a promotion here. And if you don't get it, it's the end all of, of, of something. It's about what is it that is important to you, what you want to pursue. Because once you identify that, then you can start to, to work out a plan to achieve it. That's where, you know, there are mentors to support. There are people like me out there that I don't mind if you reach out to me and say, Belinda, I want to do this. Can you help me? Can you, you know, is there something you can advise me? I'm more than happy to help because um, being a woman in this field for as long as I have been, I think it's very hard. And so I, I, I'm really very passionate and open about supporting other women to succeed, whatever that success looks like. Uh, so I'm available as well for that thank you Claire I think for me I think it's just encouraging people to be a bit braver and put themselves forward and believe in what they're actually capable of doing I think a feminine trait can be sort of sitting back waiting to be asked and actually sometimes you've just got to put yourself forward and ask that tough question and believe in, in what you're actually capable of probably more beyond what you actually think is even possible so that, that's really the sort of thing for me that I would encourage everyone to sort of have a think about. I think there's an assumption that things will just happen, but sometimes you actually have to ask for them as well. I actually have a podcast episode with Caroline who built a company called Be Braver. So I would invite anyone to go and listen to that one as well. It's a really good one. Is this Caroline Punkus? Yes. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yes, Caroline is great. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Yeah, I think I agree with um, Claire and Belinda. And um, one thing I'll add is, you know, enjoy the journey. Don't be in a rush to go on a direct line and just bounce around and look at different ways of enhancing your career. And at the end of the day, you know, we spend the majority of our life at work. So you need to enjoy what you're doing. And it's such an exciting industry that we are in. There's so much to be learned. So yeah, it's just bounce around different industries, bounce around different roles and actively drive your career, but also don't forget to have fun along the way. All right, this concludes this episode. And I don't know about you, but I did scribble some notes along the way. Before you leave, I wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the Women in Data podcast. It has been a real pleasure to see the audience growing, read your feedback, and also have a chat with some of you. 2020 was not the easiest year we've had, and it really warmed my heart to bring something to the community. But I am sure that, like me, you can't wait for this year to be over. So bye for now, and see you in 2021.